You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. had bigger plans for this man because God's timing is perfect and when God chose to heal this man he heals him and he heals him so that more and more and more people will be saved because of this man's testimony God had a purpose in this man's life you think why couldn't God look down and do something God was doing something with this man he was using this man for the fullest and he was going to get the fullest out of this man when the man became a witness of him and a witness of Jesus Christ yeah Jesus passed by But I'm sure when Jesus passed by, I thought, oh, if you only knew. Have you ever felt like you know what's best for your life? Have you ever gotten confident in the choices that you're making and decided that it's all because of you? As Pastor Dave explains in his message, if you want to experience growth in who you are, give your life to Jesus. His timing will benefit you far greater than you ever could. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 as he continues his message, Expect the Unexpected. Jesus became our sacrificial lamb. He became the one, and we didn't have to lay hands on him. He just took the sin upon him of the world upon himself. And when he died, that was our sacrifice. Peter and John knew this. Peter and John knew this. And I want to take you for a minute to the book of Hebrews. Would you turn with me? Take a short hop to Hebrews with me, please. Basically, Hebrews 10. I just want to explain this a little bit more, that's all. I felt like I needed to explain this just a tad more. In Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, let's read. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. The law can't make you perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more conscience of sins. In other words, if one offering could make you clean, why did they do it year after year after year after year? Because it only covered the sin. It didn't take it away. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he is Jesus, he said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. The volume of the book is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin. You did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. The law being the law of Moses. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. In other words, he takes away the law and establish law covenant and establishes the new covenant. Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. In all of the him, the law is fulfilled. So he fulfilled the entire law because we were helpless on our own to fulfill it. So he fulfilled the law. Let me finish here. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus... 
after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, one sacrifice forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he was perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's us. By one offering he has perfected forever those that are being sanctified, which is us. We are being sanctified day by day. To be sanctified means to be set apart, means to be made holy. It's happening day by day. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, and I I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds, here's his, I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. The writer of Hebrews knew that. There no longer needed to be a sacrifice. Peter and John knew that, so they don't go to the uh, temple during the sacrifice time. They go after the sacrifice time. But notice, they're good little Jews. They still go to the temple. They go to the temple because that's where they pray. They still held on to that. Just because they became Christians doesn't mean they weren't Jews. They didn't have to give up being Jewish because they were Christian. They still went to their temple. Another interesting thing about this verse, it says they were together. Yeah, yeah, I know, Dave. It means they walk hand in hand. No, it doesn't. What it means is, the Greek word here means that there was a spiritual oneness in them. They were of one accord. They were like-minded, going to the temple to pray. There was a oneness with them. They were one accord. You know, this is a quite different picture than when you read the Gospels about Peter and John. When you read the Gospels, Peter, what are Peter and John always doing? I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, 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 I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Well, Jesus likes me more. No, Jesus likes me better. They were always arguing. They were always competing. Read the Gospel for yourself. Peter and John are always just like you and me. Mom said he liked me best. No, no, no. We're arguing all the time. But now they're together in one accord. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was upon them. There was no need for competing now. There was no need to see one-upmanship, for the lack of a better term. They were now Christ-centered, and they were not self-centered. And there's a huge difference in your life when your life is Christ-centered, not self-centered. Huge difference. Another thing worth noting about these guys is why did they go to the temple? They went to pray. God uses people who pray. God uses people who pray. He uses men who pray. He uses women who pray. And He uses a church that prays. God loves prayer. Prayer is essential of the new church. It was essential for all churches. It's an essential characteristic of the new church. They prayed. They sought God's will for their lives. They sought God's wills for the lives of each other. They intercessed for each other as they prayed, lifting each other up. Prayer is an essential activity for all believers. It's a time when we commune with God. It's a time when we get to find out what His will is. Here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May, on Wednesday nights, we pray. and We pray for one another. And we have seen mighty things happen because of the prayer of the saints. We've seen mighty things happen. Healings. Wonderful things. Relationships stored. We've seen wonderful things happen because of the prayer. A praying church is a powerful church. It's a strong church. So these two believers were going about their daily routine They're heading to the temple to pray, something they did on a regular basis. Like I said, like us going to school or going to the grocery store, going over to a friend's house for coffee. But this time, this time during their daily routine, they're about to have what I like to call a divine appointment. As we go about our daily lives, God sets up divine appointments. Times when you might have a chance to speak about Him. 
Times when you might have a chance to demonstrate His love in somebody else's life. It may be someone that you know very, very well. It may be a total stranger. But God sets up these divine appointments. Maybe some of you have had these divine appointments and can look back and go, yeah, I remember this divine appointment God set up for me. One of the things my wife and I do in the morning when we pray is we ask that God would set up divine appointments for us this day. That God would let us see someone who is in need of Him that we might talk to during the day. And many times that has happened. He has set up those divine appointments. There will be divine appointments in your life. So the only question I have is, are you ready? They will be there. I'm sure that Peter and John were ready for this divine appointment. They had the Holy Spirit. They were ready to go. In verse 2 we read, And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate beautiful to ask alms for those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. This man was lame. He had been lame since birth. Every day, his friends carried him to the gate beautiful, and they set him there where he would ask for alms. Interesting note about the gate beautiful. The Jewish historian Josephus calls this gate, he said this gate was made of fine Corinthian brass. It was 75 feet high with huge double doors. It was truly beautiful and excelled above all those others that were ever covered with silver and gold. So you have this gate, which is absolutely ornately beautiful, called beautiful. Beautiful gate. We have this really neat contrast here. And if you think about it, we have this beautiful gate, this gorgeous gate, bronzed and beautiful, and a beggar sitting beside it who is considered ugly. I don't want to coin the phrase beauty and the beast, but you have something similar where you have an ugly, crippled man lying at this beautiful gate. But when I look at this, I see religion in all its grandeur. I see religion in all its, all its grandeur because you have this beautiful, ornate gate which led into the temple and a crippled man outside who couldn't get in. That's religion. That's religion because religion is man's attempt to get to God. Religion is just man's attempt to get to God by doing this. He couldn't get into the temple because temple was where the presence of God was and he couldn't get there. He couldn't get there because of his infirmities. Man was a beggar. He was placed daily at the gate. And his job was to collect alms, collect money from the people coming in and out of the temple. Now, you're going to think, well, maybe he, he shouldn't have been there. Well, actually, in that day, giving alms to the poor was a meritorious act. In other words, it was a good work. When you gave alms to the poor, you immediately went into the temple and said, hey, everyone, I gave alms to the guy out there. And everybody, hey, good job. woohoo, good for you. It was very meritorious. So you had to tell someone. The Scripture says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. What you do in secret will be honored when you give. But no, not then. It was good work to give to the poor. And you would make sure everybody knew about it. I wonder how many times Peter and John passed this guy. If they went to the temple every single day to prayer, I wonder how many times they passed this guy. I wonder how many times, you know, they might have even given him some alms once in a while. I don't know. I wonder how many times he was there. Did you ever think about that? How many times do you pass someone every single day? Same person every single day, not even paying attention to them, not wondering about them. And there might be people in your lives that you pass every single day. The world thinks that the answer to all problems is money. Well, just throw money at them. Think about this. According to Acts 4.22, this man had been there for 40 years. 40 years. Could Jesus have passed by this man? Absolutely. Jesus could have passed by this man as he sat at the temple begging. Well, then why didn't Jesus heal him? Why didn't Jesus reach out and heal him at that time? That's a great question. But I think the Lord had bigger plans for this man because God's timing is perfect. 
And when God chose to heal this man, he heals him, and he heals him so that more and more and more people will be saved because of this man's testimony. God had a purpose in this man's life. You think, why couldn't God look down and do something? God was doing something with this man. He was using this man for the fullest. And he was going to get the fullest out of this man when the man became a witness of him and a witness of Jesus Christ. Yeah, Jesus passed by. But I'm sure when Jesus passed by, everybody thought, oh, if you only knew. You only knew what was coming. God acts. We just wait and be patient for him to act. I'm sure at this point, when the disciples are coming up and they see this man, they're getting nudged by the Holy Spirit. I'm sure the Holy Spirit is starting to say, look at this man. There's a guy here I want you to pay attention to. Did you ever have that happen? You ever walk by someone and all of a sudden you, you need to look at them? You need to, you need to talk to them? The, Lord, the Holy Spirit starts to move on you? Look what it says here. In verse 4 and 5 it says, And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. The word here is glaze intently. It means to fasten steadfastly. Look at us. They're looking at this guy, and they want him to look back. They want him to look. They needed him to focus on them. They needed him to have the focus where it belongs. They needed to keep their eyes focused on him, and he needed to keep his eyes focused on them. God has his eyes focused on you right now. And he's probably saying to you, look at me. And you need now to take your focus and put it on God. And put it on the Holy Spirit and say, what, Lord? He wants you to look at him intently, gaze on him steadfastly to see what it is that he might say to you. God is saying, look at me, look to me. And that's our job. We need to look at God. God wants us to have focus on him, even in our daily routines, even in our daily lives. One time I was on a retreat in Ocean City, and I came home, and we lived in Ocean City at the time. We lived on the second floor in 4th Street. There was a family that lived downstairs, and the entire time I was out on the retreat, I kept on feeling like I had to say something to the guy who lived downstairs. I had to say something. I had to say something. It really was a burden on my heart. And I came home, and I was kind of pacing, and I always paced. But this pace was a little bit more. And, and B said, what's going on? I said, I don't know. I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to go down and say something to the, to the man. You know, I can't even remember his name. And B said, well, then, if the Holy Spirit is telling you to get down there, then you better get down there. Nice encouragement, huh? So she said, so... I said, okay. So I prayed about it. I didn't go right away. I prayed about it. I was, see, God is so perfect in his ways. So perfect in his ways. I'm thinking, what am I going to do? Go down there and knock on the door and say, I, I have a word of the Lord? I said, what, what, what? I said, I don't know what to do here. Oh, Lord, you have to help me in this. So, okay. So it was springtime. So I walked down the stairs, opened the door, and I walk out. And wouldn't you know, he's sitting on the step. He's sitting right down the step. I went, you're you too much, Lord. You're just too much. You set this whole thing up. And he was disturbed. He was upset. And I walked over to him and said, how you doing? We talked for a while. I said, and we talked, and he told me what was bothering him and what was going on. And he, he kind of he just looked at me. I said, I said, I don't know why. I don't know if it's going to make any sense to you. I said, but I just have to tell you that Jesus loves you and that he's going to work this together for good, and I'm not sure how it's going to come out, but it's going to be okay because God said he loves you. He went, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And his countenance changed. And I got a chance to pray with him. It was miraculous. And I felt, I felt so alive that the Lord would use me. And so it was an incredible feeling. But God made a divine appointment for me. And he put it upon my heart to go talk to this guy. Now, we, we never conversed a lot. It was your standard neighbor. How you doing? How about those Phillies? You know, one of those standard things, you know. We didn't have a, a, a rapport. I had more of a rapport with his young daughter. He used to come up and hound our two boys. She was there all the time, you know, but, but I didn't have really a rapport with him. 
Although we did visit him in the hospital once. And I got to share God with him. Just in that, Jesus loves you. They're simple words. They weren't my words. They were God's words. They meant so much to him. They were just following your everyday routine. You're going to have divine appointments. The Lord is going to call you and say, hey, I want you to talk to this person right here. And then maybe somebody undesirable. Not that person. Yeah, I want you to talk to that person. But divine appointments. Peter and John fixed their eyes on this guy, and they were intently staring at him. They wanted the man to focus at him. Look to us, they said. Peter says, look to us. The Lord wants our focus. He wants our focus on him, he says. The writers of Hebrews, again, says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Fix your eyes. Gaze intently. Never let him go. Never let the vision of him go out. But Peter and John, because of the Holy Spirit in their lives, they saw this man differently now. He wasn't the same guy that they had seen day after day before. There was something different about him. Because now they were looking at him through God's eyes. And that's the prayer we need to have. Can we look at each other through God's eyes instead of my finite, judgmental eyes? Can I look at you the way God sees you? Can I look to you the way God views you? Pray that prayer and it will change your life when you start viewing others as God sees them. And God will point out many, many, many things. When you start seeing people with those eyes, you better watch out because the love of Christ will just flow out of you. Jesus, in John 7, 38, Jesus proclaimed, He who believes in me, as the Scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Torrents will flow. The man sees these two coming. He sees them coming towards him and responds because he thinks he's going to get some alms. And he drops his hand. He's ready, boy. Put the money right there. I can't wait. In verse 5 we read, So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. The man had no idea what was about to happen. And you know what? I don't even think Peter and John knew what really was going to happen. But they were willing to be used as they moved in upon this man and the Holy Spirit upon him. But it's important here to look. The man's intent was to receive. The man had an intent to receive. This is a great example for us when we pray, when we approach the Lord in our prayers. We should approach the Lord with an expectant heart. We should approach the Lord expecting to receive something from Him. Remember what Oswald Chambers says when we read it. Live in a life of expectancy. When you come to church, do you expect to receive from God? Do you expect to come in and bless others and be blessed? Or are you just doing your daily, monthly, weekly, whatever it is, duty? We need to come with an expectant heart, knowing that God has something for you. Why don't we receive what God has? Why isn't God asking my prayers? James has a very, very important thing about this in James 4, verse 2. He says, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And then when you ask, you ask amiss, that you may spend it on pleasures. When we ask, we must ask in faith, believing that God will answer us. How many of you, when you pray, really believe that God's going to answer your prayer? I mean, really believe it. God answers prayers in three ways, unless you, in case you don't know it or not. He does say yes. He does say no. And then he always has that famous, wait. Wait. We can't wait because I want it my way now. I want to drive through the drive through window of prayer and go, God, give it to me now and I'm gone. Oh, wait. Lord, give me patience. And give it to me now. Wait. But he answers prayers. As we draw near to God in prayer, our hearts become overwhelmed with Him because we're in His presence and we I'm overwhelmed with Him. And all of a sudden, it's not, Lord, I need this. Lord, I need that. It's, nevertheless, not my will, but Your will be done. Because you know God's will is best for us. And our spirit in us wants God's will for our life. It wants God's perfect will, whatever that is, in our lives. When we come to church for service or study for even fellowship, we should come with an intent to be blessed. We should expect and have an expectant heart that God would speak to us, either through the worship 
through the Word, through the fellowship, through prayer time, God speaks to us. This lame man, lame since birth, wanted something from Peter. He expected a small pittance, just something. But his life was changed because he received everlasting life and healing from Jesus Christ. He got so much more than he asked for. Let's continue in verses 6 through 8. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I will give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. It's interesting that Peter only gave what he had. We cannot give what we don't have. That's why we need to pray and be filled with the Holy Spirit so we have something to give. If I'm drained out, if I don't have anything to give, if I don't have the Holy Spirit residing in me, how can I give it out? I can't. It's impossible. And it's not the church's business to make the world and make it better and make the condition of a person better. It's not necessarily the church's position. Well, why doesn't the church just give money? That's not what we do. Our job is to release here on earth the redemptive work of God through Christ. That's what our job is. Now, sure, we do give money sometimes, and we do that. But you know what? It's not our business. People around Christmas time are always calling the church for money. They're always asking us for money. And, you know, it's like, well, we really don't do that. Yes, we have met needs. Don't get me wrong. We do meet needs. And sometimes that need is in monetary form. I'm not saying that. But we just don't go around passing out money. I learned this in an extremely hard way, a very hard way. I used to do a, a Bible study at the rescue mission over in Atlantic City. Seven years I went there. Every Wednesday night I did a Bible study. What a wonderful time sitting around with the men there. We'd had a wonderful I got to know some of them. There's this one particular guy who I really got to know. He was there. He was a regular, and he was in their program. And you had to really be up close and personal with God to be in their program. And he was doing wonderfully in their program. And one time I got there, and he was a mess. He was crying. He was a mess. He had a, had a letter in his hand from his daughter. And I sat there, and I talked to him about it. And he explained to me that he couldn't get to see his daughter, and his daughter needed him, and blah, 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 blah. And he went on, and he couldn't do it. He didn't have the money. All he needed was $40 to take the bus. All he needed was $40 to take the bus. I gave him the $40. Next week I came back and I started Bible school. I said, where's such and such? Oh, they threw him out of the program. Why? I don't know. Somebody gave him some money and he went out and he got drunk. My heart was broken. My heart was broken. I gave him money. My heart was broken. But I learned a lesson the hard way. It was unfortunate that I fell for that. We don't just, we give what we have. But sometimes just giving to solve a problem is not enough. This man had several problems. He thought he needed money to make a living, but the bigger problem was he needed Jesus Christ for life everlasting. He needed Christ in his life, and when Christ came into his life, he got a double dose. He got life everlasting, and he got healed. He got both. Silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you. Peter and John are still overflowing with the Holy Spirit, and they wanted to give it away. When the Holy Spirit is ruling and reigning in your life, you want to give it away. You want to give it out. You want all to have what you have because you know the excitement of having Christ in your life. You know what it feels like to be redeemed. You know what it feels like to be forgiven for the wretched life that you used to live. You want people to feel that, and you want all to come into that knowledge. You are You've been listening to A Sure Hope Radio with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. 
In today's message, Pastor Dave is in the book of Acts. In this book, you'll hear about many people who had been eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They were now going to tell others about Jesus, and many were coming to a saving faith. If these disciples were just following some flash-in-the-pan rabbi, they wouldn't have been so eager to risk their lives for the sake of telling about this good news. No, it's because they saw it lived out, and they saw the greatest miracle of all happen, Jesus dying and then rising again. What an incredible time to live. So when you're facing opposition and persecution for following Jesus, remember that these disciples did too, and they were willing to face the ramifications for such faith. If you're wrestling with what this means to have a saving faith, we'd love to seek God in prayer with and for you. You can email us your requests at info at capewatchradio.com. If you'd rather call, we can chat with you on the phone too. Our number is 609-884-5821. That phone number once more is 609-884-5821. Anything else you'd like to know about can be found on our website, assurehoperadio.com. We've come to the end of our time together for today, but we'll be back next time as Pastor Dave shares some more great things from the Bible here on Assure Hope. Assure Hope.